Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 4. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, and Kindle or MP3 player. Today, I am really excited to um, welcome Erin McPherson to the podcast. She and I have known each other for um, a couple years now, and we are in an author marketing mastermind together that meets every other week. And we meet every other week, not in person, but on Google Hangouts. But once a year, we have a mastermind retreat, and that's where we really got to know each other better. She is an author. She's a mom, and she's a wife. And uh, she has. Uh, she and I today are going to be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that's writing and living in the tension of trying to make money as an artist. So... I think that uh, anyone who's ever tried to do that will resonate, but also just with the humanity and the authenticity that Aaron brings to the conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Aaron McPherson. Hey everyone, it's Mary again at the Restory Show, and I'm so excited to have Aaron McPherson with me. We have known each other, I don't even know how long, like a couple years now, and she is in my awesome mastermind group. And so she is an author and a speaker and a marketer and um, she's got amazing kids and she lives on a compound, but she's not a cultist. So Erin, welcome to, with that introduction, welcome to the Restory Show. I know I'm not usually on this end of the podcast and I've never been introduced, but at least you made it clear that I'm not a cultist. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up and where, you know, college and meeting your husband and where you are now. It's such a boring story. I'm going to say it really fast because... No, it's so exciting. I know. I grew up in Central Oregon, which was wonderful. And I had a great family. And um, my husband and I met in college. Again, super boring. We got married a week after we graduated. Oh, I know. And I, I can say that was probably one of the bi- biggest mistakes I ever made. And we can talk about that another time. because <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I'd never lived on my own out of a dorm. I had no idea. So oh. my husband and I, we went on a honeymoon and we were on our plane ride home from a honeymoon and our bank account had $2 and 45 cents in it. And Whoa. we were so young. We hadn't even thought about like getting an apartment, getting furniture, nothing. So we literally got back from our honeymoon and knocked on my parents' doors and we're like, hey, we need somewhere to live. So <laughs> I know. Isn't that awful? <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. mom. I know you just paid for my wedding. Now I'm moving in with you. Can I ask for some more favors, please? Yes. <laughs> that is crazy. $2.45. That could be like a title of one of your books, Two forty-five. $2.45. Yeah. So yeah, we um we had a rough few years and um eventually we did figure things out, but it took us a long time. We were too young. How old were you? Like 22? 20, 
21. Oh gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so when you give your kids advice in the future, you're going to be like, can you just wait a few more years before you say I do? Figure things out. Figure out your life. How old were you when you got married? I was 24. So a little bit more. So anyway, yeah. Um, after we got married, we did our craziness and um, eventually we decided, well, we need to go back to school because we're not going to be able to get jobs. And we went back um, and got our master's in education and then we moved to Texas. So and then things got better. Yes, because in Texas, everything gets better, right? Exactly. The, the sunshine. You know, our <laughs> in Texas. That's the truth. Like <laughs> the, the shade and the rain there, it made me depressed. So I didn't know that till I left. Yeah. And now that you lived on your compound where, you know, it's sunny all the time and you can be in the swimming pool, it's all awesome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you must have had children, right? I did. So that's an interesting story. I was a teacher. I loved my job. And like I said, we got married really young and we couldn't figure things out. And so um, we were going to wait a long time to have kids. So having kids was not even on our radar, even though it probably should have been because at that point I was 28. We'd been married for six or seven years. Oh, wow. And um, I found out I was pregnant and I was stunned. Like I had no idea what I was going to do. I did not want the baby. I did not want anything to do with it. And the big thing I was worried about is I did not want to quit my job because I loved my job. So I had him and literally as soon as he was born, I said, I do want to quit my job. But I, <laughs> I want to, yes. I do. So it's a, kind of an interesting story. This is my like, I don't, th- I don't think I've ever actually told this story in public before. So I'm just going to tell you now. I didn't want to quit my job. And my husband said, well, if you don't want to quit, but you want to stay home with the baby, you should try to find a job that you work from home. And I think like every mom has that thought at some point. And so my husband found a job on Craigslist and it said, wanted parenting writers must have a master's degree in journalism or English and have at least two published works. And I had none of that. Like as a teacher, I'd never written anything. I didn't even consider myself a writer. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to apply anyway. So I applied with my totally unqualified resume and we didn't even know what the job was for. And I got a call a couple weeks later and the person said, hey, um." So I know you applied for a parenting writer job and you had none of the qualifications. <laughs> I laughed. And they said, and it's weird because we had over 1,500 applicants, but I just keep coming back to your resume. So would you be interested in interviewing for it? And um, obviously God had really intervened at that point because I had, like I said, I had none of the qualifications. I didn't see myself as a writer, but um, I actually got hired in that job. And the person who hired me told me she had no idea why she did because I had nothing that they needed. But That job was working at Nickelodeon as a staff writer. And when you work at Nickelodeon as a staff writer, you get a lot of opportunities. So everything kind of unfolded from there. That's awesome. Did you get some good, some cool swag? I'm just guessing that you did. So every (laughs) every day, the doorbell would ring like at three o'clock when the postman came and there would be at least 10 to 20 packages on my front door because they wanted you to review everything. And I had a baby and then I got pregnant. So I was getting, I mean, I had like probably 15 strollers and they were all like top of the line, like thousand dollar strollers. And I I felt like such a like diva mom because I had like, I mean, I had the nicest high chairs, the nicest Mm -hmm. everything. And then when I got done having kids, I um, took it all to the mops consignment sale to like, cause I donated it to mops. Cause I was like, I don't need this stuff. And they were like, we're getting like $800 for your stroller and it's used. And I was like, I know. <laughs> I did not buy it myself. <laughs> that is awesome. Way to, way to be able to bless others by, you know, the commercialism that came your way. <laughs> you know, right? So yeah, when I quit my job at Nickelodeon, I remember calling my friend, Kathy Lip. Do you remember her? Mm-hmm. I 
said, you're crazy. You're not going to get packages every day. And I said, I know it's the hardest thing about quitting. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, just think about the presents that you were getting. How fun is that? I know. And my kids were clothed and shoes and everything, but it was still a good thing. Anyway. Now it's like boring ink cartridges that you ordered on Amazon, which is not as exciting. Exactly. It's not even close. No, but. <laughs> it's not the same as getting gifts in the mail every day. No. And then after that, you, um, I know because I've, I've worked with you in this before, but, um, you got a different job. So tell us a little bit about that job. Yeah. So Nickelodeon was like the best and the worst job I've ever had. It was the best because like I said, well, the swag, but also like, I mean, having the opportunity to write for like a major company and I'd fly into New York and I'd get a stay in Times Square and, you know, the MTV headquarters was amazing. But the flip side is, is it's, it's really cutthroat. Like New York City publishing is really cutthroat. And like, you're told every day, like, you're a, you know, you're a terrible writer, you're a terrible person, you're lucky you have this job. And you eventually like start to be like terrified to like turn anything in or do anything. And I started to feel really like I was failing. And then um, I'm telling you all sorts of stories that I never tell anyone. You're just like bringing it all out of me. <laughs> That's my therapeutic <laughs> side. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Um, I got pregnant with my third baby and right at my eight week ultrasound, they found that there was a um, heart defect and they told me that the baby wasn't going to survive. And um, I was obviously pretty devastated. I ended up, I chose not to abort because I was just like, I can't do that. So I carried the baby for about nine and a half more weeks and um, ended up having what they called um, was a stillbirth because it was right about 18 weeks. And um I was in the hospital having that stillbirth and my boss starts texting me saying, no, I need, I need you to do with this work. I need you to do this. And I said, well, I'm in the hospital. I'm losing my baby. And she said, you knew that baby was going to die anyway. <gasps> you need to come to work. And at that point I just thought I can't work for this in this way when they're like making me feel guilty for like, you know, and it was like, literally like I was in the hospital for a day. So, um, well, and plus their whole thing is about kids, right? <laughs> I know. I'm so that's weird. Say, like, it was it was a hard working environment. So at that point, like my boss actually said to me, and she's a woman, she said, you have to, as a woman, prove that women are not less than men. So you have to work even when you're having hard things. And I just kind of want to be like, really? No, that's not the way my life is going to be. So at that point, I um, went home and I looked for other jobs and I found a job working for a company called MDR, which has been Wonderful. And while I don't get the swag, my job is like a thousand times better, a billion times better. A billion so is a lot. Yeah. A billion is a lot because every day, instead of like every day turning things in and them saying, you're stupid, this mm -hmm. is horrible. Every day it's like, you're doing great. Let's push it a little further. And there's like such a difference on that, as I know you know. Yeah. And having a learner's culture and a, an encouraging culture is so much different, isn't it? It is. It's like a whole different thing. So I've gained a lot of confidence and a lot of like ability to like think outside the box by working in an environment where they're innovators. So mm -hmm. I love that. And I've had, like I said, I've been able to kind of touch into that world and I've really enjoyed those folks and really great things going on there. So let's, let's do a little shift and we'll go to the opposite of that. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about writing and our writing careers. And this really is for anyone who has a passion to do something creative and to try to make a living at something creative. And if you throw ministry into that as well, so if you have creative and ministry 
and the desire to make some money with it, then you're, you're going to stir a really weird soup (laughs) and it's probably not going to settle well with you. So I just wanted you to share a little bit about your journey into Christian publishing and maybe some of the, the restoring that God's done for you and what you've learned and what you're still learning. Yeah, this is, this is a hard question. (laughs) I know. I was like nodding as you were talking and you're talking about the really weird soup. I'm like, yes, it's a weird soup. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I feel like God like just like kind of like laid things out for me so easily at first. Like I had this wonderful job at Nickelodeon and agents were calling me and being like, you're writing so much and you're, you know, everywhere. Can you please write a book? And an agent called me and asked me to write a Christian pregnancy book. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that would be amazing. And she said, can you write a proposal? And I said, what's a proposal? So I didn't even know anything. And I, like, had a book deal already. And um, my first book was, like, it was, like, unicorns and fairy princesses. And everything was... I love those. No, I had, like... (laughs) the most wonderful editor who like flew down to Austin to like sit with me and help me edit my book. And I had like these wonderful creative people helping me like lay it out. And so everything just was so perfect. My first book that I think I, I started, (laughs) I started to rely on myself. I started to believe that I was like pretty darn awesome and that I had everything figured out and that maybe I started to like trust myself over God. When I say maybe, I mean, I did start to trust (laughs) God. And, um, it went well. Like my book sold really fast. It sold really well and everything was great. And, um, like I said, I really had a lot of confidence at that point. And, um, right. That was right at the point that I got my new job. That was right at the point that I'd left Nickelodeon and everything was going well. And, um, what happened was kind of outside of my control and looking back, I don't know that I would have done it differently, but, um, what happened is, is the publisher that I was with the first time that I absolutely loved, they decided to not extend their nonfiction line. And um, since they wanted to continue out my series, I had done a pregnancy book. There was a baby book and a toddler book and a preschooler book I was wanting to write. And um, they pitched it to another major publisher. And they said, hey, would you like to take this original pregnancy book and publish out the series? And at the time, it seemed like a dream come true because my book was selling really well. I got another huge advance and everything was perfect. And I was like, this is great. But the issue was, is I went from being a new but big fish in a small pond to a very very tiny gray dull fish <laughs> and a huge pond full of rainbow fish and <laughs> all the rainbow unicorn fish all the unicorn fish and I was no longer shiny or sparkly at all and my book went from selling well to not selling at all and then all the series in the next book didn't sell at all either and um I went from like having this like huge future to like nobody wanted to work with me because my books didn't sell and it's been a restoring process because <laughs> I've had to go back to like, my worth is not in my ability to sell books. And um, I love to write. I want to write all the time. And I have to realize that maybe God doesn't want me to do that. I don't know. It's hard when you're call- you have a calling and, and you know it, like it's way down deep, you know, you know, it's there. And other people have affirmed that that calling is there and you, you know, you've been gifted to do something and yet it doesn't reach the standards that the publishing industry, you know, they have some very high thresholds that you have to meet in terms of being able to write for them again. And, and these are arbitrary. I don't know, you know, exactly that they would say, oh, well, it's this many units you have to move, but it's, it's whatever we don't have. (laughs) So, um, and, and so that really messes, it personally messes with my head because I keep having to go back to, no, 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 no. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm called. I know 
that um, I'm supposed to be obedient even when I don't see the increase. And so as you've been working through that, how have you kind of come to terms with it? Or are you still wrestling through as you, I know you're approaching new projects right now. So how are you working through that? You know, I, I can't say I have totally um, worked through it because I, so, <laughs> I'm very emotional. I'm so up and down. And there are days that I'm like, I don't care if more than one person reads my work. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to write it because I like to write and I want to follow God's lead, like you said. And then there are days that I rant and rave and I throw things at the wall because I'm like, so-and-so doesn't even like to write. And they're selling 400,000 copies mm-hmm. every time they publish a book. And I love to write and I can barely like sell a copy. And I start to feel down. And so like, I wish that I could say that I have it all figured out. Um, but like you said, I have to keep walking forward. I have to keep writing when God puts something on my heart. And I have to realize that maybe it won't sell. Maybe it's just an exercise in teaching me something. Maybe it will sell in five years, but I have to keep moving forward. For the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And today I am recommending uh, Simply Tuesday by Emily Freeman. And uh, she's one who writes about the arts, and she's also the one who writes about kind of capturing each moment. And since uh, we've talked about some of those things within this podcast today, I thought it would be a good listen for you. So to download it or any other audiobook, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Restory, and that is audibletrial.com trial.com restory for a free audiobook. It's hard, I think, too, in the business that we're in, um, because of what you just said a little bit ago about looking at newbies or people who, I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, gosh, 25 years now. And especially in the internet age and the self-publishing age, you can see people who don't have to go through the thresholds that you did. Like we had to kind of pay dues, you know, and we had to learn things and we had to be great at our craft and all of that. And now you see kind of upstart, so to speak, and they, you know, out of the gate suddenly have success. And that's hard, you know, it's hard to watch and it, it, it shouldn't be discouraging for us, but it can be. It is. Yeah. Well, and it was like, you know, I worked with people at Nickelodeon who also have book deals. And one of my coworkers at Nickelodeon, she hates to write. And she, mm. she's admittedly a terrible writer. And she admits that when she turned in her book, the editor basically completely rewrote it. And um, part of me is just like wants to be, and she sold millions of copies. And he <laughs> wants to be like, how unfair. Like, <laughs> I'd love to write. I'll write your book. <laughs> And I know you're in the same situation as I am, Mary, and that like, you're a great writer. And it's hard when people maybe haven't practiced as much or worked on it as much, or they don't like to write. I mean, I think that's a big thing too. Like, I don't know. It is. It's, it pulls the rug out from underneath you. And that's again, like where you have to go back to calling and just say, okay, I'm like you said, I'm just going to do the next thing. I'm going to take the next step. But what have you learned in terms of promoting your work and marketing and the, the mastermind group that we're part of, I think we're called like the author marketing ma- masterminds or something. That word marketing is in there. Um, and I think for you and I, especially, I mean, it feels weird and it doesn't quite fit. It's like a coat that you put on in summer that you don't need. And, and there's, especially when ministry is attached to it, how do you, how do you do that? And and what have you learned and what do you do well and what don't you do well? Yeah, well, I agree. It's hard for me to be like, buy my book, buy my book. And maybe that's part of the reason I don't sell books. I don't know. I'm trying to be really like on my pages and with my work, I'm trying to like start this conversation. And I know that's what you do too. Like 
to connect with my readers and to find ways to like get to know them on a personal level and share experiences and let them share back. And I'm not sure if that's successful, but I hope that at least, at least I'm not annoying people. And I hope that at least the people who do follow me feel like they have a friend because I really do care about my readers and they're my friends and I want to know what they're doing as well. So I'm hoping that that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. But that resonates with me because I really, really struggled with that about halfway through, you know, the books that I've written. And I finally read a book by Seth Godin called Tribes, which is a common book that lots of people read, but it, it clicked something for me. And I realized, okay, my job isn't necessarily to sell the most books, although I'm sure my publishers wish that I thought that my job was that, but it's to develop a tribe. And you know, in Christian, in the Christian world, I would say in a sense, it's like developing a congregation. And I view myself, um, as a shepherd of these people who, who email me all the time with, um, with tragedy, with pain, with worries, with, oh, please pray for me. And, and I have, even though it's not face to face and I would prefer to minister face to face, absolutely. And that's why I want to speak more and all of that kind of stuff. But even though it's not, it means something. And there is this human connection that happens. And so I begin to see my work instead of as something I have to promote to make myself money. It becomes an avenue for me to hear people's stories and to just you know, enter into their story with them. And, and that to me is very gratifying. And so I save all those emails for those rainy, sad days where I'm like, what in the heck am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then I also look forward to that day on the other side where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful word servant. I want him to say that. I want, I want to take the gift that he's given me and I want to, I just want to like go for it. And, in heaven, they're not going to have our book scan numbers. Oh, <laughs> <There's thanks. laughs> so, so yeah. So the the people that are bestsellers, no one's going to know. Like they're just not going to know. They're it's it's really who you touched and what those books meant and who was affected by them. And so that's a very long interaction with with just this idea of we're building a tribe, we're building a congregation with our words, and that helps me. When I get emails, you know, from agents and or from my agent or from publishers and they're like, Oh, her numbers aren't good. Her numbers aren't good. I'm getting them a lot. I, I got a royalty statement today that I chose not to open because I knew that my worth was going to plunge into the pit of despair. And I was going to be like Anne of Green Gables, always on the brink of, you know, deep despair. And I would be guilty of having Marilla say to despair is to turn your back on God and, you know, all of that. So, uh, all that to say, okay. that was a very long diversion. Yeah, I do not open mine either. I get it. <laughs> yes. So um, what kinds of things have you, uh, you've, you've done a lot of different kinds of interesting things. So you have also co-written. Tell us a little bit about how that process has been and what you've learned as a result of, you know, kind of coming alongside someone with a different platform than your own. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of things. I've co-written and I've ghostwritten um, and like I've written devotionals and compilations and all those things. And I think like you said, like, we just have to keep writing and walking forward and trying all these things until that day that God tells us not to, but it gets, yeah. Anyway, co-writing, I loved it because I loved my co-author. I think, um, I know a lot of people have struggled with co-authorship because it's hard to like find that balance between what both people want to say. But, um, in my case, we were very well aligned and she's one of my best friends. It was with Kathy. 
And um, I don't think there were any problems with it. And I loved the finished book. I was very proud of it. It did not sell well, which was very sad because she's a platform than me. So you would think it would have, but, um, part of that had to do, I mean, like, it's like everything always just happens and you want to be like, why part of that had to do with like an Amazon mix up. And you have to be like, why is this happening to me? But (sighs) (laughs) yes, I hear you. And I, you know, I think too, I learned throughout the process too. I mean, we're talking shop here, but I learned that I'm the worst ghostwriter known to man. I I am. I can't, I have a very, I'm glad, but I have a very distinct voice and I cannot adapt my voice to someone else's. And so I did one ghostwriting project and it turned out fine and she was very happy with it. And it was just, it was a self-published book and it was just an act of obedience on my part, but I realized I could not do that. It was not my level of gifting. I, I love that people can do that. I think it's great. And for the listeners, a ghostwriter is someone who basically you come alongside Mine wasn't this, but you come alongside a famous person, someone with a platform or a name and you write, you interact with them and then you write their book and you may or may not have your name on the cover, depending a lot of times not, which can get into, you know, issues of, is that fair and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's what that is. And, and I, I'm glad that you've had some really good collaborative experience and I think it helps when you really like the person too, and you respect them. Like I've had some not as good experiences ghostwriting because I didn't have the same vision or like maybe I didn't agree with what they were saying. And that makes it harder because when you're ghostwriting, you don't get to say what's said in the book. You don't get credit, but you also don't get blame. And that's good and bad because there's sometimes you're like, I can't believe I'm writing this if you don't agree with it. So you just have to be really careful. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I'm sure you've learned a lot about what you do going into the future. Um, you've learned some lessons, I'm sure, about, you know, maybe diva authors that you don't want to work with anymore. I have. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and uh, so let's change the subject a little bit. How how do you wrestle with, how do you wrestle with kind of the culture of celebrity within the Christian writing circles? Oh my goodness. That is a tough question. I, I feel like you need to answer this question right now too. <laughs> I will because I'm, I'm struggling with it too. I mean... I tend to be a more introverted person. So like I would rather not be a celebrity in that like I, my pastor's wife is one of those celebrity writers and um, in a church, like if she's speaking, the halls are packed and people aren't even listening to the sermon. They're just like trying to get a glimpse of her and everybody's like showing up at church only to hear her speak. And they're like that last week I saw someone sitting in the row ahead of me holding up a camera and snapping pictures of her while she was like singing with the worship song. Oh. And part of me is just like, it makes me want to shudder because it's so unfair. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I would be so mortified. But the flip side is, is um, like we, as, as Christian authors, if we don't sell books, we don't get more book deals and you kind of have to have that celebrity to do it. So I wrestle with like being glad that I don't have to deal with that stuff to like, almost wishing I did so I could sell books, which is an awful way to think. But now that I'm being honest, now you have to answer for yourself. (laughs) It's true. And that's been, you and I both struggled with this and we've talked about it together about this kind of treadmill that we're on of you're producing books. I'm writing my 32nd right now. And I know crazy. And, you know, you're, you're getting them out. You're working hard. You're trying to, you know, write the best thing that you can. I, my goal is always to write the next book is the best book I've written. And, 
And, but the reality is if you don't sell well, then those numbers follow you wherever you go. And I've told some of my readers, you know, I've all of them actually on my Facebook page, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll have another contract. The one I'm doing right now is just a write for hire. It's not a, it's not a normal book contract. No one will even know I wrote that book. And that's okay with me because I need to pay the bills. And, you know, we have, uh, my husband's unemployed. So we're, I'm working very hard and I'm saying yes to everything. But there is something fundamentally stressful to me about the idea of Christian celebrity. And I have to go back to Jesus, who was, by nature of who he was, famous in his day. Like, people, crowds followed him. But the way he combated that was he always pulled away. He got away with his father. He spent time with the Lord, you know, the, his father in the wilderness. And um, he never allowed it to to get to his head because he was perfect, you know, and I'm not perfect. So I, I won't walk that line like Jesus did. Um, so I think it's, it's wrong to say, well, you should just never be famous because Jesus is probably one of the most famous people on earth, but it's how you handle it. And unfortunately, in the middle of this career that I'm in, I keep running into some really bad examples of a Christ follower. And I, and what I, do with that is I just turn it around and thank the Lord. And the reason I do that is I look at my first book. It's the only book that ever earned out its advance. So I've written like 31 books, one that's earned out its advance. And it was just this like little devotional book that keeps selling and, but it didn't like go crazy. And I'm so grateful for that because I think about who I was 10 years ago. And if fame had instantly come, I would have gotten a big head and it would not have been the right thing. And so I'm just so grateful that God knew that I did not need fame right away and probably don't need it right now because it's it uh, it emaciates your soul and it makes you think that you're bigger than other people. And I don't like that. I don't either. I agree. Although I do have to say, I kind of live in like, maybe I'm just, maybe I just think it is. I feel like I live in the city where there is the biggest like Christian fangirl culture because I think a lot of the biggest. Yes, I agree. Oh my gosh, you're so in the middle of that. I am, and a lot they're all in my circle, and um, so I'm kind of intertwined with a lot of them in a lot of ways. And I have to be honest, like these women, the women that have all these fangirls that are celebrities, they're handling it so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I like feel like I have so much to look up to them. These are like not women who have let this get to their head. They're really like prayerful and honest and open about it. And so part of me like wants to look up to them and realize how well they've handled it. And part of me just like feels bad for them because I feel like I'm calling them fangirls. These fans of these people, they almost are like turning them into idols. And these women don't want to be idols. Right. It's hard, but I can honestly say, I think they're handling it way better than I would. Well, and I'm grateful for, I agree. I know the circle you're talking about, and I agree that there are some people out there in the Christian writing field that are just knocking it out of the park and they do have, you know, fame and they're just deflecting that flame, that fame back to Jesus and they're doing a great job. And I'm so encouraged by that. I can tend to look at the ones that aren't doing well and just think, ugh. <laughs> and so that can discourage me. But, um, but I am grateful that there, there are people out there. They're walking the talk and talking the walk and living out what they're writing and they're the genuine thing. And, you know, we need to pray for people in, that's why we're supposed to pray for people in authority. It's why we're supposed to pray for people in those kinds of positions because, you know, it's a dangerous place to be, especially when other people people place you on that idol. Yes, but I am very proud of those women who are doing that. And I'm really grateful that I'm like sort of part of that culture. I'm saying sort of because I'm not one of them, but I like at least I can watch them and they're doing a good job. That's super encouraging. That's super encouraging. 
So what I wanted to, we're going to finish with these two questions. One is, what do you say to someone who is struggling in their job? You know, you have one job you're not struggling in, although I'm sure it has its, you know, problems. Um, but the other, in terms of the creative job you do as a writer, all the angst that comes with that, what kind of advice would you give someone that's in that same kind of position? So I was talking to my sister about this the other day. She has different type of creative skills than me, but she, you know, has a lot of angst too. Hers, her issue is not having time. But um, we were just talking about how like, unless God has specifically told you not to pursue your creative dream, you need to always be stepping toward it, even if it feels hopeless. Um, mm. For my sister, it's that she doesn't have time because she has four toddlers. And for <laughs> me, that's a fun story. Um, and for me, it's because, you know, I've had all these roadblocks and like, even though I feel like I've done good work, I haven't like sold the way I should. But regardless, until God says, stop, walk forward, even if it's not seem to work. And that walking forward for me is every single day I write for a half an hour, regardless of whether I'm going to use it or not. And, um, I miss that sometimes, but I try and I'm always moving toward a place where I can, um, be working on my craft. And I think for any creative, whether you're a painter or a writer or a musician, like spend a little bit of time every day, moving yourself towards where God wants you to be. I love that. I think that's great. And, you know, you're not going to waste anything by improving your craft. You're only going to you know, bless it and get, make it better. So I think that's great. And that's something that you can control. So you and I cannot control our sales. I mean, I can't like chase down people on the street and force them at gunpoint. To, I mean, I could, but I get arrested to buy my book. Do that. Let me know and I'll join you. <laughs> we'll just go run around as renegades, buy my book. But we can't, we can control our faithfulness. We can't control the outcome, but we can control the faithfulness. And so I love that piece of advice. Um, and then the other last question is, how has God restoried you through this process? Well, I had mentioned earlier that there was a time where I thought I was pretty hot stuff. And I think um, God has humbled me, but he has also just showed me that like, this isn't about me, it's about him. And I have to like press into him instead of thinking of all the things that I could do and all the things that I could say, I have to always turn to him and be like, what can I say of yours? What can, how can you use me? And that's a really hard place to get to. And I can't say I'm fully there yet, but like coming to the place where you're working for him instead of for yourself. And I think that is a way that my life has been restored. And I'm sure in the long run, it will be better. Just it's hard sometimes. <laughs> yes, I hear you. That's great. And I, I'm just so thankful for this time that we had to talk because it just helps me feel like I'm not crazy. So we yeah. can be like crazy people together. And um, you've written 32 books. I love <laughs> so much. <laughs> well, that's kind. Thank you. So thank you for uh, being part of the Restory show. And I just appreciate your story. So thank you for coming on today. Thanks for listening to the Restory show today. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for giving us all different kinds of jobs and for sustaining us and for providing for us. And for those who are frustrated in their jobs today, I just pray you bring health. I pray you bring a healthy perspective. I pray that you help us to see that you are working even when things don't go the way we want them to. Help us to be obedient to the next step. Help us to obey you in all the things that you ask us to do so that when we can get to that other side and we can hear those amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant. And for me, 
Um, I wonder if I'll hear, well done, good and faithful word servant, because my desire, Lord, has been to honor you with my words. So Lord, bring encouragement today, bring perspective, just bring us closer to you. You are the creator of everything, and you have endowed each of us with gifts and bits and pieces of creativity, and I pray today that we would not run away from that calling and not run away from those gifts, but embrace them wholeheartedly no matter what happens. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com, Restory 2-4. That's Restory 2-4, and may you live a brand new story this week.